Well, we're in the Jonah series, and we're uh, dealing with the last message in the book of Jonah. And uh, Jonah's had some problems along the way, hasn't he, as we looked at him. He had run from God. He had defied God. He'd uh, resisted God. He survived a storm at sea. He was swallowed by a giant fish and still struggled with his relationship with God. Uh, That should encourage you because a lot of times in our own lives, we will struggle in our relationship with God. In a growing walk with Christ, there are going to be inherent challenges as we, quote, are growing in our walk. If you're not growing in a walk, are there struggles? Yeah, but there are a different set of struggles. So God finally persuaded, through uh, his own intervention, Jonah, you need to preach in Nineveh. He got the message, he says, yeah, okay, I'll go. And so the Ninevites, interesting enough, responded to the message, repented, and turned their lives around. This was not Jonah's expectation. He didn't like it. We would say, wow, he preached, and they say in Scripture this was the greatest revival that took place in terms, even Billy Graham never had 120,000 people respond to one of his messages. But over 120 people, 1,000 people repented of their sin, mourned in sackcloth and ashes to the message that God had brought through the prophet Jonah. Today we would hail him as a great prophet. Was he thrilled? Nope. He didn't care. He, that was not the response he wanted. I can't say as a pastor I've ever thought to myself, I don't want people to respond to my message. But in this case, yeah, he, he said, I don't want them to respond. He was angry. He resented God's grace towards these wicked people. God could have said, mission accomplished and moved on. But God seems to have had more trouble with Jonah than with the city of Nineveh. Ever think about that? More trouble with his own, with a man who professed to know him and love him than with the unrepented sinners that need to be saved. Jonah had succeeded in his mission but his heart was wrong, and God knew that. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, with dealing with issues of the heart in his day, God had reminded his, another prophet named Samuel this, For Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And today we're going to talk about heart issues. When God looks at your heart, what does he see? Let's pick up our story. We pick it up in the last part of chapter 3, verse 10. It says, when, Jonah, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. See, our God is a God of compassion. He saw the change in the Ninevites' hearts, and he had compassion. He had empathy. God is a God who cares. The definition of compassion in the English language is a feeling of deep sympathy or sorrow for another who is stricken with misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Is there God's a compassionate God? Yes, he's been mistaken by many people, because a lot of times I hear people say, I like the God of the New Testament, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. And I feel like saying, you don't know your Bible. You really don't. Because they say, well, the God of the Old Testament is like a warmongering God who, who doesn't show compassion, who doesn't show care. 
And in the New Testament, we see a God of love. I said, have you read Revelation lately? Really? If you read Revelation, you get to see that there's a sense that God is a God of justice, God is a God of anger, and God is a God of uh, mercy as well. But in Isaiah 30, 18, he said, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. That's one verse. Another one. Nehemiah 9, 16, 18. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And that's not Nehemiah, that's Exodus. The Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's the Lord speaking to Moses. Psalm 51.1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. That's the psalmist David talking to the Lord after he'd been confronted by the prophet Nathan about his adultery. In Psalm 86.15, But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. As a father has compassion with his children, so the Lord has compassion upon those who fear him. Our God is a God of compassion. I don't think we fully understand the compassion that our Father has for those who repent and turn their hearts towards Him. Sir, God does not delight in the punishment of sinners. Ezekiel 18.32 uh, says this, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Because sometimes we have this perception that God is a God who He just loves to pounce on wicked sinners and destroy and annihilate them. Actually, that's what the world thinks, by the way. God carries around a big stick, and if you do something wrong, whack, whack. And I say, you, you're, you're only seeing one aspect of God. You don't see the whole picture. The problem here is that Jonah does not have God's heart, and actually, neither do we. You see, the Ninevites were the great-great-grandfathers of Isis. Because I want to paint this picture. Because sometimes you, we look at a story about Jonah and the Ninevites. And like, what was the problem, really? So I'm going to draw a more graphic picture that's going to draw a little more perspective, we say, to the situation. If you read the news, you'll hear the terrible atrocities that ISIS are committing against the Kurdish people, especially the Yazidis. You might have read it in the Toronto Daily Star. It happened this week. There was an article on it. You can go into Yatsi, they go into the Yatsi villages, take all the men, take them out to the outside of the community, they kill them and slaughter them. And then they take the women, round them up and categorize them, and they put them in a huge warehouse and slaughter and categorize them as being beautiful, okay, or ugly, and then allow ISIS fighters to take which one they want and use them as sex slaves. And the girls that are coming to Toronto right now from that country uh, there was an article in the, in the Toronto Star detailing this exact story that I'm saying. Frankly, I find it revolting. When I th think about these ISIS fighters, I think they should all burn in hell, honestly, what they're doing. But yet God would say if they repent and turn to him, he would extend compassion to them. They'd go like, really? Okay, let's back it up a little. Go World War II. Let's use another illustration. If Hitler and the Gestapo, who committed the atrocity against the Jews, had repented and turned to him, would God have forgiven them their sin? The answer is what? And I ask you again, 
do we have the same heart as God? You see what I'm saying? Our natural thing is they should all die. But that's not God. And so we have to be very quick when we rush into judgment against those who don't know Christ, who commit terrible atrocities. You probably heard the story about mad son of Sam, who commit all kinds of atrocities and killing women all over the place and doing disastrous things to them. But what you don't know is that mad son of Sam became a born-again Christian in prison and now works as a chaplain in the prison. Still, he's going to be there for life, sharing with others what Christ has done and changing his life around. Are you getting the picture yet? The whole issue is that Jonah had a similar response as many of us would. He hoped that God would destroy evil people, evil people that do evil things. God, destroy them, wipe them out, burn them. I want that. See, Jonah 4, verse 1, we read this. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. You know, I get it. All you can think of is all these wicked people that these and all the bad things that these Ninevites had done, these Assyrians. You don't really want them to be spared, but you really want judgment to come to them because they should pay for what they've done. But unfortunately, when we think like that, we don't have the Father's heart. God is not willing that any should perish. Listen to what Jonah says in his dialogue with God. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Good excuse. I know that you're a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I don't like the way you operate, God. I don't like the way you think. Jonah here shows that he knows God's character and his attributes, but he's far from having... God's heart for the lost. You see, we can say we understand Scripture. We even pray, but yet our heart can be far from God's. The purpose of studying God's Word is to learn to respond like God to every situation and person in life. Now, as I say this, I want you to be very careful. You say, God is a God of justice. But God is also a God of mercy. And they do balance. Notice Jonah, what's, he's, what happens in chapter 4, verse 4. The Lord replied to Jonah after he talked like this. He said, have you any right to be angry? We sometimes need to ask ourselves that question. What makes you angry? What makes me angry? Does God agree with my anger? See, God has a lot to say about anger in the Scriptures. In Proverbs 29, 11, God says this, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. Proverbs 14, 29. What makes you angry? 
Jonah here shows very clearly that he doesn't have God's heart for the lost. So God says, Jonah, I need to teach you a lesson. And let me say this to you. When you don't have God's heart for those who are lost, when you have God's heart and you're quick to anger, guess what? God says, it's time for me to teach you a lesson. Why does he, why does God do that? Why does God, because God says, he's a God of compassion, he's a God of mercy, he's a God of justice. But he says, I want you to have my heart. Because you're not getting it, Jonah. You're not getting it. And I would suggest to you that most of us still don't get God's mercy. We understand what is grace. We like God's justice. Oh, yeah. Except when it's being meted out to us. And this is what he does. So Jonah went out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He's he's thinking to himself, I can't wait to see this fire show. It's going to be better than the fireworks on 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 Canada Day. The Lord God provided a vine and made it to grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. <laughs> Any kind of shelter is good. But he's out there because he's sitting there and he's sitting like this. I can just see, see him sitting in the shade. I'm waiting for God to destroy this place. He's hoping that God is going to come through. And when he does, I want to see the show. It's going to be good. But dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed upon Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. I would say to you at this point that Jonah's perspective is a little distorted. And how many times have you and I been in a situation in our life and we say, not meaning it, but I wish I could die. And that's where Jonah's at. He is so upset because all he can do is put the replay button on and remember all the things that the Assyrians had done, their evilness, their atrocities, and think they deserve judgment, they deserve judgment, they don't deserve, they don't deserve mercy. I'm okay with God showing me mercy, though. But God showing mercy to them? Are you kidding? Interesting, isn't this story? God is the business of teaching a life lesson to Jonah, but he's very set in his ways, Jonah is, and in his thinking. And God says, I need to change the way you think. Jonah's like a stubborn mule. God is showing him how his sense of discernment is off track and his values as well. What you value, your sense of discernment, it's wrong. Because you don't have my heart. Jonah 4, verse 9, God says to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry? About the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. Really? Over a stupid vine? See, God is still challenging Jonah about his misplaced anger. He's angry about the wrong stuff. Jonah's so caught up in his anger that he's become blinded as to what is really valued by God. 
Uh, what's more important, people or plants? Really. What's more important, my own comfort or the lost? What's more important, my needs or those of who are hungry? What's the most important thing in your life? Is that really important to God? So God responds to Jonah in verses 10 and 11. The Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and how many cattle as well. Should I be not concerned about this great city? Really, Jonah? What's God saying? Jonah, I'm invested in the people's of lives who really, really need me. You, on the other hand, express concern, emotion, and anger, and upset over something that in the light of eternity has no value. Think about that. What do you get angry about? In the light of eternity, the things you get angry about, does it really make a difference in the light of eternity? Do I hate the things God hates? Do I love the things God loves? Do I really have God's heart? You don't have your father's heart, Jonah, but you need to. So, I want to ask you again, do you have a heart like God's heart? Do you love what God loves? Do you hate what God hates? Do you think of yourself the way God thinks of you? Do you think of your neighbors the way God thinks about your neighbors? Do they see God's heart in the way you act, and the way you respond every single day. Because your life is a canvas where people see Christ through that canvas every day. Do we really have the heart of God? I ask myself that question. Do I have the heart of God? And I would say a little bit. But there's still a lot of work to be done. A lot of work. Would you be willing to pray with me that God and his grace would, turn, would form even in every, every one of us a heart that is more like God's? And I thought about that. Because I thought, I wish that as a congregation we would have God's heart. And I thought, God, what do you want us to have a heart about? For God so loved the world. Do I really love the world, and what I'm talking about the world is not the systems and not what the world has to offer, but when it says God so loved the world, it talks about the people around us that are lost, that need Christ. And the things I thought, as a church this fall, we talked about people going on the streets and just walking around, praying over every home that God would work in those homes in this community. We thought prayer walking in the community. I thought, how many of us really did that? And sometimes I would hear from people, well, I'm too busy to pray for our community. And I think, well, you don't have the Father's heart. You say, ouch, that hurts. I know sometimes Rose and I were able to get out. We walk some of the streets of our community and pray over them and 
It was fantastic. I got to know some streets that didn't even know existed as I walked through the community and started just walking, praying. And nobody seemed to bother us. We were just a couple walking down the street. As we walked by, just on a regular pace, start praying over your home. But it, it, what it did, it, it freshly attuned my heart and Rose's heart to say, this is the community that we're called to reach. Do I have the Father's heart? And there are other Saturdays that I was too busy. And I realized I got a long ways to go. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27a. I think somebody posted this this morning on Facebook. I will give you a new heart. I put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. What was God saying? God says, I want to give you a new heart. And that's his desire. Somebody said, what about, what about Jonah? Do you think he really got it? And the answer is, yeah, I believe he got it. You know why? He wrote this book. <laughs> and the last thing you want to do is write a book in which you really mess up and you don't get the picture. Would not be a bestseller. But as I remind you, a lot of Jewish synagogues on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, read through the entire book of Jonah at the end, the congregation stands and says, I am Jonah, because they recognize where their hearts are at. I trust that we won't be Jonas, but rather ones that are saying, Lord, give me your heart. Give me your heart for the lost. Give me your heart so that people will see what Christianity really looks like, that God's heart is real. God's heart, what is it like? It's a God of justice but also a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness. Those are all attributes of God. And God says, I want those attributes in your life so that you reflect my heart in this world. The thing that was unique about Christ's ministry is that as you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you say that when Jesus walked, anywhere he walked, people were drawn to him because they, they want to spend time in his presence. And I pray that people will be drawn to you because you bring the presence of Christ with you. Let's pray. Father, work within our hearts, I pray. Continue to help us to walk with you in such a way, Lord, that, Lord, your heart would become our hearts. And that, Lord, you would give us a new heart. And, Lord, when we accepted you as our Lord and Savior, when we confessed our sin and we asked you to come into our lives, Lord, you gave us a new heart. But Lord, enlarge that heart, grow that heart, that our heart might be representative of the Father's heart. Wherever we go, wherever we live, wherever we work, that people would see Christ in and through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.